In just a couple weeks, we come into our Easter time. And so next Sunday is what is known as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is when they laid down palms and coats and cloaks and things for Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then the week after, we come into Easter. But today we're going to be turning to the book of John chapter 11. This passage of scripture is chronologically just before this time period, at least as John records it, that Jesus will be taking his triumphant entry. We're going to read these passages of scripture in sections, but we'll begin with John chapter 11 and read from verse 28 through the rest of the chapter. Now the characters in this particular narrative, a historical uh, narrative as it's presented, are Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're brother and sister. They're friends of Jesus. And as we come into this passage of Scripture, see, Lazarus had been sick. And they called for help, and Jesus hadn't arrived. But now Jesus arrives, and Lazarus has died. Lazarus has passed away. And so they're distraught. And you can imagine the distress. Maybe you've been in those situations, and you will hear as we read through these sections, if Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, it wouldn't have turned out this way. If Jesus would have turned, been here, it would have turned, been different. If, you know, people go through grief, then they have those questions. Now they're close friends with Jesus, and he shows up. And so we're entering into that emotion of grieving. Lazarus at this point. And as you know, Jesus rose on the third day, but he's been in the tomb, or uh, buried for four days, meaning... Counting the first day would be part of that. He would have put, been buried the day he died. So it's been several days now. So they've gone through these different processes. They're, they're in the grieving process. And so let's begin our reading now in John chapter 11, verse 28. And we'll read down through 37 in our first section. And when she had said these things... She went her way and secretly called Mary her sister. So this is Martha at this point. And when she, which would be Martha, had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him, and him being Jesus. Now Jesus had not come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the, in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? This blessing through reading of his word. So in this first passage of scripture we read, you can sense the grieving, the questioning. If you would have been here, if you would have been here, you would have not would not have died. And, and Jesus healed people. Certainly he could have kept this man from dying. And you probably have been through this process. We won't go deep into it necessarily, but this is where they're at. But we see in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse of the Bible. It's very interesting. I'm going to to plot. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen is Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Jesus wept. Look at the Jesus wept. You can ask the question, why is Jesus weeping? Because he knows he is going to Yes, Lord, I know that he, he will live again in the resurrection. But here Jesus is weeping. But before you see there, therefore when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. They told him, he asked where he was at, and then Jesus Jesus was moved with the compassion. Maybe you're one that watches a movie or a play or hears a, uh, an opera or something and you, and you sense what they're trying to display and it, make, it makes you emotional because you start to relate with that. But maybe you also have walked into the situations and you can see that someone's sad. Or maybe it's a little child and you know that they, it will. But when they're weeping, it moves you. When they're sad, it moves you. And you know what they're sad about is it's okay and it'll be okay. But in their moment, they're emotional. Jesus wept. He was moved by their concern. He felt their compassion. And so we can take reassurance that when we go through the grief spots, and we go through the hard spots, that Jesus is touched by our compassion, that he understands it, that he relates to it, he cares about it. And so Jesus wept. And it is a great example that it's okay to be moved when you're having compassion or feel the feeling when someone else feels and You relate to their pain. But they were complaining. They were 
upset. It's a, it's a, they were in grief. We go on to verse 38. And we'll read from 38 through 44. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, and said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for it has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with the grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene that you're walking to a tomb? It's one thing when Jesus go in and the, the, the young girl had recently died and they had the mourners come in, but she's still on her bed in the house. Imagine after multiple days, multiple days, all hope is gone. Jesus, we believe that you could heal him. Maybe they believed when the young girl was brought off her deathbed after she had passed. But all these days had not touched him. Would be in their mind. They had some traditions we won't go into. But all these days had passed. And he stinketh. Their reality, what they understood, didn't mesh with, jive with, whatever you want to use, with what Jesus was about to do. And then Jesus prays. See, they might have claimed that Jesus did things in the name of a devil at some point. But here he's praying to God. And he's basically saying, there's not a conflict between him and God. It's me, him, and God the Father. And it's as though he's praying out loud for those around him to hear. So that they can know, we talk. And I'm talking to you now. I'm acknowledging you. I think it would be interesting, the challenge would be, they thought he was of a demon, how could he be crying out to God? That'd be a little bit challenging. Because they accused Jesus of everything, but he says, so that they know that you hear me. Then he calls out and says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. I can't remember the name of the artist, but there used to be a, a song about Lazarus coming forth. It's pretty exciting. Um, 
several years ago. But it's about Lazarus coming forth. And you think about it, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And it makes you wonder, speculate, what would have happened if it was just come forth. Just come forth. But your mind goes through all kinds of places. Was not Lazarus already in? And where, what was he thinking? And what stories could he tell after being dead three days? Four days. Wow. Lazarus comes forth. He calls Lazarus to come forth. What power and what demonstration... Maybe at this point they can start to understand his disciples what he's been trying to tell them and he's trying to get through to them about he's going to rise from, he's going to die and rise from the dead. They have enough trouble with him dying, but the concept is going to rise again because the thought was that he's going to rescue them from Roman oppression, from the Romans being over. He's going to be the king of kings and it's all confusing in their head. Maybe now they can see that, yes, he, it's possible that he could rise from the dead. I don't know. But it would be an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Now all this has happened. And Lazarus comes forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and a face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. He's a mummy, more or less. And he's walking. The stories that must have been told. The people that actually witnessed it. What will they do with that information? What about the, some of the religious rulers that were aware? Let's keep reading. Let's go to John 11, 45 through 57 as the story continues. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. We talked about this. It's not, they didn't believe that he, it's believing in him. We've had this sermon. We talked about believing God exists is not enough. They believed in him. Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish? Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there remained with his disciples. And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they saw Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, 
should report it, that they might seize it. They were counting on the fact that Jesus would come in for Passover, and we know he does come. We talk about the triumphal entry. We talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. We talk about Easter. But this is prior to that. But did you read what happened there? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Some believed in him, and then the others went and told the Pharisees. They went and told the Pharisees. So the Pharisees called for a council. Now, it might be the council of the Sanhedrin, but it's a council. They got the, the chief priests, they got them involved too. Now, who are the Pharisees? So the Pharisees were, I looked, I happened to use my Thompson chain reference Bible. You may not know what that is, but some do. And in there it says, the Pharisees is a party of the Jews. The Pharisees were more about a traditional approach and, and the rites, the rituals, and those activities. That was more where they were at. And then you might have heard something about Sadducees. So you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were kind of interesting. They were more materialistic. So you would think of the Pharisees more of a legalistic, traditional. The Sadducees were counter-traditional. I don't know if you call them contemporary. But they also didn't believe in an eternity, afterlife. So it would make sense then they were more materialistic, which they were. So you have these two parties within the Jewish hierarchy. It's interesting, you get the sense of a political party. You have the tr traditional and you have the contemporary. You, you, you kind of get the idea. We see political parties. These are church parties, and there's a politic kind of that's going on. So there's some things that we can learn. When Jesus talks to the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, he's talking to the non-traditional and the traditional. So when we get into this, well, we go to the traditional service. Well, we go to the non-traditional service. Well, Jesus was talking to both of them at different times. So we have to be careful, but we can kind of get the context of what's going on. And they had this, this council together, and what were they concerned about? If he keeps doing this stuff, people are going to believe in him. God is in, on the move in their community. But they can't see him. Because all they can see is the way they're used to seeing it. They're not open to it. They look at the, they're saying we could lose, now in there it says our place, or lose the place. Some translations have put the word temple in there. Uh, the word temple is not in the Greek, but commentators would probably referring to And the place could be the whole temple, the whole temple mound area. Uh, 
at the moment, they're probably meeting in the place where the Sanhedrin meet, met as, as, a, as a possibility. But see, their status quo would change, and they're worried about losing their nation because the concept is that if they believe that Jesus, and in Jesus, they set him up as king, and if they set him up as king, what will happen is the Romans won't let that happen, and so they'll come in and crush us. And then we will lose our place, we will lose our temple, because the building, now granted it had the Holy of Holies, they were more locked into their tradition, they were more locked into their particular church building, and their particular setup, than they were about Jesus moving in their community. You don't see in this passage of scripture, this is amazing. We want to get together and give praise to God because these people that were grieving the loss of their brother, the loss of their friend, and the impact in their community, God has intervened in their life and they are now feeling much better. They have their brother back. Their brother's alive. It's a great celebration of the moving of God. No, the answer was, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's kind of like when we watched, now I know some of you haven't seen it yet, but there's a recent movie, and I won't tell you the name of it. Yeah, I'll tell you the name of it. I watched Jesus' Revolution. And in that movie, there's a place. I won't tell you exactly what happens. But there is a place in there where some people are getting saved, and because the people look a certain way, and are coming to church, that the people that have the traditional want it happening in a certain way, when the pastor says, listen, God is saving people. They might not look like you, but God is saving people, and that's what we're going to do. They're welcome here in our church. Some individuals get up and leave. Because the people coming to church didn't fit, didn't dress right, didn't whatever. So the thing, the process, the people got in front of being able to see God on the move. Have to be careful of that, don't we? We have to be careful of that our religious activity. Well, I go to the contemporary service. Well, I go to the traditional service or or we do this or we don't do that. Now, I'm not saying that our relationship with God shouldn't affect how we view things. I'm not saying that. But the traditions of men should not do so high in our perspective that it clouds our ability to see God move and to hear what he wants. But isn't it amazing that they were so concerned about themselves, they said that they take over the nation, but it just seemed more like they didn't want to lose their place. Now, it was their physical place, I get it, but I wonder, it still makes me speculate, it's about where they're at. And so, as we try to apply this concepts and things that we're, that we're learning, and we have to be very careful We can apply it to the politics of church, churchdom, 
I just, there's fancy words for that, but I don't know that I know what all they are. I don't think that when I preach that I should go look up the biggest word I can find in the dictionary and, and use those words in my sermon. I've been in those sermons, and uh, they're not helpful. So let's just call it church stump. And in the church circles, we have we can get into these church parties. Sometimes they might be on doctrines, and that's important. That's on teachings and your beliefs systems. But sometimes it gets into some other stuff. But it kind of reminds us that when we think of things in our country even, and, and it seems that morality now is, is, is shifting into the government. The government used to be about freedom of religion. Now it's trying to, and to leave religion alone, right? But now it's trying to impose on the religious community the will of the government religion in many ways. It's happening around the world. And there's a social religion that's, that's going on that's trying to influence denominations. And as you see that happening, and you can say, wow, you've got a splinter in your eye and missed the beam in your own eye. Remember that? Take the splinter out of your own eye before you work on somebody else and start criticizing them. That when we get it out of perspective, that we're not able to see any kind of goodness if somebody that's in that other group. Now you might be on one place politically or another place politically. And we don't have to even talk about political parties and government. It could be in another area. But we're so championing our group that when something good comes along, God is moving or something that's positive come along because the other group came it's bad it's not bad because it's bad it's not bad because scripture says it's bad it's bad because the other party said it's bad the other party said it was good I'm sorry the other party says it's good well we can't let them win anything so we're going to say it's bad and it can happen on both sides of the spectrum. And when people call things bad, not because they are, but just because you got the idea. Guard yourselves. Scripture should guide how we look at our landscape. Scripture should guide our biblical, we call it a biblical worldview, because it should be a worldview based on the Bible. And we, when we look at our society and our families, the Bible, when we look at our community, the Bible, when we look at our government, the Bible, when we look at dealing with people that have done things wrong, the Bible. We should all go back to the Bible. But we have a challenge. Factually, they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. 
People had told them they could walk. Now, if someone says, hey, so-and-so rose from the dead, it's not very far, hard to walk over and to say, yes, he, he rose, sorry, Lazarus arisen from the dead. It's not too hard to convince yourself that that's the truth. Sometimes we get into apologetics where we're trying to convince people that this is what really happened. And the Bible is true. These people were presented with the truth smack in their face and would not accept, would not believe in Jesus. Sometimes it's not the facts that we got to convince them of. We present them with the facts, but if the Holy Spirit is not drawing it, then nothing's going to happen. But at some point, they have to make a choice. And if they're more on their own agenda and not seeking out God, the facts are not going to necessarily move them. There's some people that go around and say, listen, they don't want to believe evil exists. Evil exists. There's evil out there. They're like, if we only explained it to them better, if we only told it to them better, then certainly they would be on our side. They knew. And they still rejected Jesus. There was so much about themselves and their agenda, they couldn't see Jesus. But then that they did see Jesus, they rejected him. They wanted the status quo more. So this message walks through the spectrum. You may be in a political party over here or a political there. You may be looking for factual information and you might be thinking there's not evil out there or whatever. But when we look at the scripture, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The Jews knew it. The Pharisees knew it. But they still wanted to kill Jesus. Because it would flip over their understanding. They weren't open to be instructed. They weren't open to learn from God. They weren't open to move forward. They weren't open to have their hearts opened up to God to do something new and afresh through them. If you want the Holy Spirit to come and you want to have revival, then you need to be willing to let the Holy Spirit come in the way He wants to come and direct you in the way He wants to direct you to do what He wants you to do. You can't say, Dear Holy Spirit, I want to come down and I want you to do X, Y, and Z. I've only struggled when people seem to command Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, to do something. They command him to do it. It's not, dear Lord, would you come in your presence? Dear Lord, would you come and be with us? Dear Lord, please, I'm asking, would you save me? They yell at God and tell God what to do. There's no humility in that. Yes, we can come boldly before the throne, and we can come boldly, meaning that we can walk in without being cut down because we have the blood of Jesus. 
But as we read through Scripture and we see the example of Jesus worshiping, worshiping, I'm sorry, washing the disciples' feet. He was a servant. He was in humility. So as we go into this next week into Passion, what they would call Passion Week, open your hearts to see what God would teach you. Because the whole of our Christianity rides on what happens. That Jesus died, was buried, arose, and ascended. 